collaborating, emailing, and slacking with your coworkers. Pants optional. Today we're talking about remote work. I'm Chaz, he's Brit, and this is The Furious Curious. Facebook is expecting more than half of its employees to work from home over the course of the next five to ten years. Through 2020, uh, they can choose to work from home if they can do their job there productively. A lot of private companies over the last five to six years have really built virtual teams around the world. Uh, so this idea of working remote or working from home uh, is sort of built into the DNA of these companies and you can see that reflected in, in the stocks of companies like Zoom and Slack. Remote work, Britain. Remote it, work. We are it, all in it. It a lot is. Of us are. Yeah, it is the perhaps the greatest cultural phenomena of 2020. It it just hit everybody like a tsunami. I mean, we kind of saw it coming, right? Like shortly. Sure. But it really rushed, kind of rushed in really quick. And you know, I think for for people like you and I who at the time when this all hit, working in advertising, working at, you know, I feel like we're kind of in the thick of that. I know Salesforce. I believe mm -hmm. earlier today mentioned something similar. And it is it is remarkable in the sense that more than half of Americans are going to continue to work remotely, at least through the end of this year, mm -hmm. and while two-thirds of companies may render their current work-from-home policies permanent. I know Twitter said that, said, don't have to oh, come back right. in this year or perhaps ever. So it really wow. does feel yeah. like we're at an inflection point for the, I guess, the embracing of remote work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes me realize though, not everybody has the luxury. I don't know if it's a luxury or not quite yet. Not everybody has the luxury or the privilege or, or whatever to, to work remote, to work from home. And I think I've been thinking about like, if I was a server right now, still, you know, what that would look like for a lot of us, like we can transition quickly to a work remote situation, you know, especially people who work in tech or, or analogous to tech, uh, advertising, whatever. I think for essential workers, it makes us realize actually a lot of people still have to go in, put stuff in Amazon boxes and, and go and deliver it and stuff like that. So to me, like, you know, this idea of essential workers, like I think it brings me pause of like, okay, actually the people who actually have to go in and do a lot of stuff are like more essential than we realize. And I really hope that before we get into the, the remote work, the people who can't work remote, that we take a step back and pause and we say, hey, you know, actually essential workers, you know, there's a lot of people who are essential workers and we're not paying them like they're essential. Yeah. No, look, I, yeah. I think I, I totally agree with what you said. And I think calling it a luxury is not a mischaracterization. I think yeah. that is totally reasonable. I, I think, you know, people who can work remotely um, are extremely fortunate. And, and guess what? They're, they're far less essential than the people who keep the society's lights on. Like these right. are the essential workers are what make society hum and stay afloat right. and right. can function. So it, I, I do think it, it, you know, if there are, if there is, a silver lining to this whole thing that we um, perhaps have better conditions and, and greater respect for people who are out putting themselves in harm's way just so they can, you know, bring bring home bring home a paycheck at the end of the week. Right. Is, from a at a more macro level, one right. of the developments from a um, I think it was the Buffer State of Remote uh, Work report, which came out last month in June, mm -hmm. that ninety eight percent of people would like to work remotely at least some of the time for the rest of their careers. Now, mm. I thought that is pretty remarkable, and we're going to mm -hmm. touch on this in the, the five reasons why. 
it a lot of the time it hasn't been an option for many people but mm-hmm. the fact that if it after after this turns around after there is a vaccine and what have you if there is that that option on the table i think people would like to have it now there is you know there is a, a there's a dark side of working from home as well in terms of isolation and depression and mental health issues as well right, right. but the fact that if there is the option for people to do a bit of a hybrid model of sometimes going in and sometimes uh, staying at home, I, I think it seems like almost universally people, you know, want that. Totally, a little like a hybrid. Sixty-seven uh, percent of employees feel like they are overworking, and is that when looking this here, Chuck? Like, is that uh, is that from since from working from home? Yeah, like there's a lot yeah. of a lot of sort of corporations are realizing that. There are some mental health challenges of working from home. You know, obviously yeah. a lot of parents with their kids at home. You know, I have mm-hmm. a child, so you know, part 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 of the time I, I have her, and I'm um, you know trying to work as well as ensure that she's dialing in at the appropriate times to her you know her classroom. Right. Uh, there are people are because they're not they don't have the commute so that i think there is the the i don't know if it's a real pressure but i guess the the expectation that they should be at their desks or accessible more right. easily so they'll, they'll get up and they'll you know check their email and their pajamas and have a cup of coffee and then you know before they know it it's sort of you know three in the afternoon and they haven't moved from their their kitchen table <laughs> so right. there, there's definitely without the sort of um i guess the day parting of getting ready going to work you know right. getting uh on the way home people can very easily let it blend all into sort of just one fat melange i, right. I did just want to say melange i just wanted to go on record um, <laughs> there is no there is no bookend right there's no commute there's no getting no. somewhere going there then coming back and this idea of mental space tied to physical space is kind of now being challenged for a lot of people so like here so over two-thirds or 69 percent of employees are experiencing burnout symptoms while working from home out you know we can explore that more i think there's we got some theories on that there is some theories out there on that. And this is up almost 20% from a similar survey back in early May. This is according to Monster uh, this month. So that's interesting. Yeah. And I think it's just to our point earlier, without that sort of the natural, I guess, um, cadence of, mm-hmm. of the workday, mm-hmm. people are just letting it sort of blend into each other. And unless you're sort of fastidiously disciplined about saying, okay, now I'm working, now I'm at helping my kid with her homework, now I'm cooking right. dinner, now I'm watching TV. It's all in the same sort of geographic space as well. Right. So it, it's sort of the onus is on the individual to sort of say, compartmentalize their day in, in sort of very um, concrete ways. Otherwise, this blending into each other can perhaps feel a little bit like you're in solitary confinement at Shawshank. Uh, that's probably a little bit hyperbolic, but you get you get the gist. But I, I do want to um, just, there was a, a quote from Vicky Salim. Oh, yeah who's a monster career expert, she meant, she said, although work from home may have offered you a break from the commute, office structure and your regular daily routine for the past months, the mental break from work as well as technology is equally important. And I do think that's another thing that we need to sort of be hyper aware of if you are sort of just sitting on the couch, scrolling on your phone, you know, lying down, well, yeah, I'm accessible. I'm kind of working. I'm kind of not. It's very easy to sort of become hooked on on screen time. And whether it's streaming something on Netflix or just, you know, scrolling through Instagram, uh, that that can be a bit of a dr- brain drain. So I think we've got to um, be, be fastidious around making sure that doesn't happen. I think a lot of people, especially who maybe have worked at, and maybe I'm just speaking my own case, a lot of contemporaries, we've worked in the city and we live in the city, which means being in a city, you don't necessarily have the luxury of a home office that is compartmentalized 
generalized from the rest of your your home life. Sure. You know, if you live in the suburbs or whatever, that's different. I feel like now the um, the benefit of living in a city, I'd love to unpack that. Like the benefit of actually living in a city is now diminished indefinitely. Yep. And so I think there's something interesting there. I think I think real estate has reflected that. But let's before we get into that, let's 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 uh, jump into the five reasons why. So number one, and the reasons why, and what do they say? If there's an elephant in the room, you should introduce it. So I'll introduce you to this elephant named COVID. Now this is obvious, but COVID was many things. You know, it's a it's a tragedy on a mass scale, you know, sort of a, a century on on an historical scale. Mm-hmm. Right. But in many respects, perhaps one of its lasting legacies, apart from pandemic preparation, is the fact that it's the great disinhibitor of remote work. Mm-hmm. Now, even though we, you and I have worked in an environment where it's okay to work sort of remotely for a long time, the expectation is still that you go into the office for the most part. Mm-hmm. I think when people leave early, when they say, I've got to pick up my dog or I've got to, you know, meet this colleague for lunch, I'm, you know, working remotely for the rest of the day, you kind of like, there's nods, but there is also sort of the feeling like, oh, yeah, th- this person is just taking the day off. They're, mm-hmm. they're going to be monitoring their emails, but they're really just sort of feet up on the couch watching uh, Yellowstone or something similar. I think COVID, what it has made people do is like everyone has got to be at home. Like it's not even a choice to go in. Even if you wanted to go in, you couldn't go in. So the fact that it is working from home has become mandatory for an extended period of time like this, for me, that makes it sort of the number one reason that uh, remote work is kind of here to stay. I think it's, yeah, I think it's forced leadership. Mm and a lot of organizations to now trust employees with that. Cause I think probably the barrier before was that there was just a lack of trust. Yeah. Can I really trust like my people to get stuff done, you know, when there is not that kind of, butt in seat quote, you know, end quote mentality. I think what we're going to start to see is the challenge that COVID has forced is productivity at home. This idea of being at the office equals productivity may not actually be true. It may not be as equal as we think. It may not be as cause and effect as we think. I'm wondering though, if corporations and companies and businesses are going to start using this as kind of an excuse to one, not give raises to two, not have overhead of like a building and to start really using this as kind of a way, well, because of COVID, we don't need this. Well, because of COVID, we can't do this. Well, and secretly kind of, I don't say secretly, but like, I think there's a lot of shuffling going on here. And I don't know if that's necessarily benefiting like the employee. There's a lot of talk of well-being and mental health, but you know, if you don't need a huge building downtown, that's a huge overhead savings, right? Yeah. Maintaining all that stuff. Okay. So where's that money going? Well, and then if, in, you know, I, I think there's just, there's going to be a huge financial shuffle here. And I just wonder if using COVID as an excuse to not have any overhead like that anymore, fine. But I think what we've yet to see is how will this affect work collaboration? Mm. Well, you know, that, that's it's a it's a good one. I mean, that's a nice segue into number two, because I think that is sort of the, the holy grail that people are missing. Because the number one, two reason... Um, for why remote work I think is here to stay is technology. Now you you touched on it earlier in the opening, we can look people in the eye on video chats. There's simply fewer and fewer reasons to go in that in terms of the the benefit of going in versus the benefit of staying home. Mm -hmm. You know, we have these meetings on Zoom, can we meet, can we Slack, chat? There are many reasons to stay home. A lot of the work is doable from home, but one of the things that I'm hearing from a a range of different colleagues in in different fields Mm -hmm. is the decline of, I guess, serendipitous encounters. Right. Like, uh, you know, uh, know, rubbing shoulders 
close to people and ha- having creativity, uh, you know, come come from just being in close proximity. I right. do think also the fact that even a casual chat, uh, you need to schedule a bit of time with them on their calendar. In the past, it, it could be a hallway conversation that takes under a minute, but now guess what? It's going to be put on the calendar for 15 or 30 minutes. And I think that's what Microsoft has found. A recent report came out from them. They were saying 30-minute meetings have skyrocketed just because they thought, well, that's the smallest, I guess, default setting for a, setting for a meeting. So people go, oh, yeah, we've got to catch up on this, 30 minutes on the calendar. And it's like, well, actually, that was probably a 30-second conversation. <laughs> you know, right, it was right. required. So I do think there is a, a downside to that, but for the most part, technology has uh, liberated a lot of this uh, remote work capability. It's going to be interesting to see if how long this lasts because I think la- last year I just finished that book about Steve Jobs. And a lot of that in there is they're talking about specifically Pixar and Apple and how much time they spent on workplace architecture yeah. to to maximize, as you said, serendipitous moments, right? Moments that are just like, you know, how they orchestrated the bathrooms, where do they put, you know, where they put the cafeteria and all that stuff. It's yet to be seen if we're going to have an aggregate decline in just kind of creative ideas and innovation because of this, it's yet to be seen. I'm not saying that's the case because I think there's always people are always going to find ways to, to be innovative. But I think that's yet to be understood, is especially like the uh, Apple's new, relatively new place down in Cupertino, that the, the, the flying saucer is. It's, yeah, um, yeah. You know, they spent a lot of time really orchestrating that so they maximize those kind of serendipitous moments. So unfortunately, stuff like that is by the wayside for the moment. And so it'll just be interesting to see what the aggregate result of not having that anymore will be. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. And I think a lot of research will come out as, you know, I guess the sample size of working from home becomes more significant. But what are that? what's that old management adage, if it can't be measured, it can't be managed. So to quantify the, I guess, the net deficit of serendipitous occasions is going to be tough to negotiate. But once that happens, I mean, maybe there's going to be greater digital channels. Maybe there's going to be other sort of uh, suggestion boxes, these kinds of things that, and chat rooms that people can actually help, uh, I guess, lubricate creativity in a serendipitous way. That sounded a little tawdry, but you get get the drift. So Um, So then on technology though, you know, what you were saying about the same same place, like same location now. And now some of these things that really interrupted our interrupted our technology use, right? For example, like walking to the bus or going to grab food downstairs or, or whatever that is. Now we're kind of like even more continuously glued to technology. And there was this thing that you sent me last week about, I think it was Zoom fatigue. People are starting to find that like by what? You know, by a, earlier than... Before, people are just getting kind of burned out. People are reporting being burned out at work, you know, working from home sooner than maybe that they would at work. And I think what was happening is you're kind of losing some of those little bits of extra stimuli, you know, walking to work, seeing the city, smelling the smells, commuting to work, having to drive, you know, all these little extra things that are stimuli that are breaking you out of that technological box we're starting to lose. And I think the mind is like still catching up with that. And that's why I think you're starting to see fatigue. I don't know if you have any thoughts. No, it's a really good theory. I do think, you know, they say the, I guess, depending on the person, but the maximum amount of any type of um, period of concentration 
rather say between 30 and 45 minutes in terms of like concentration mm-hmm. and in terms of anyone's sort of endurance period after that the you're seeing diminishing returns so getting mm. you know getting up from your desk walking around getting a joyful jolt of oxygen from walking around the block my knowledge of the brain is uh, very primitive but just from a very uh, commonsensical level to be mm-hmm. staring in the same uh, the same screen in the same position sitting in the sitting in the same place doesn't make for the greatest uh, i guess buffet of inspiration <laughs> so so I, I think that that definitely makes sense to me Mm-hmm. So, so number three, uh, I'm calling this one win-win. Mm-hmm. When you think about the corporations, I mean, you touched on the overhead mm-hmm. for a while. When you th- when you talk about you know employees, you, things like a commute and what have you, employers have less to worry about with you know the office spaces and the overheads there, the, the snacks, the cleaning, the catering, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, employees save on commute time, distractions. It seems at at face value there are benefits to both sides of, of remote work yeah I, I do think you know the short benefits right now is you're saving time on you know a lot of people are commuting you know hour each way to work and having to get all done up and it'll be interesting to see how how that win-win continues and if it if it ends up being a long-term win-win on that you know saving on commute time distractions what is kind of I think a net win for society and this sounds this is going to sound quite Darwinian. But I think when things like this come along, it's a huge shakeup and people cannot, they can no longer rest on kind of existing structures. And what does that force people to do? That forces companies, small and big and corporations and business leadership. It really shakes things up. And I think it really starts to shake out who can and who cannot adapt in the marketplace. And I know we all think about those who could not adapt and how how difficult that is. But I think sometimes these things are good. And actually, I think not only is it a win-win in that sense, because I think it'll strengthen companies, it'll other companies will get stronger where they have been able to adapt. But the other thing is like, I think it'll actually give us a technological leap forward. You know, I was thinking about when SARS came out, this is 2003, you know, before 2003, teleconferencing was kind of not great. It, mm. it, was, it wasn't really streamlined. It wasn't standardized. And not only that, but just people were not very good at working, you know, incorporating teleconferencing into that kind of workflow. And the technology, the acceptance of it, the ability for people to adapt and to work accordingly to that uh, really accelerated by leaps and bounds after SARS, because a lot of people actually could not travel internationally. And you saw a leap in teleconferencing technology and conferencing technology. It's yet to be seen, but I think, you know, and maybe I'm going back to technology in terms of like what I think will be the win-win for everybody technologically is we're going to see some pretty cool, hopefully innovations in terms of how people can virtually work. And I think right now we're in that, we're going to look back here and have this primitive idea of like, wow, like all we could do is be in this little box. And, you know, I think there's going to be some really interesting, hopefully, I'm optimistic, interesting things that are going to start to arise that are going to get us closer to that feeling of analog collaboration, hopefully. Yeah. No, I'd agree with that. And you see some certainly concept technologies of some Mm -hmm. of the the big big tech makers uh, have some pretty promising looking uh, prototypes in the work. So I'm very optimistic about that. I think the status quo, while it feels sort of 
suitable, the, mm-hmm. the technologies that we use today, I think we're just really scratching the surface in terms of what lies around the corner, not very far over the horizon, actually. The future uh, is just getting started, Chuck. It is. It, I, it's hard to argue with that, my friend. Number four. So number four, I think this is important. Uh, yeah. You know, the open plan office has failed. Yes. And this is sort of, uh, this is like sort of going after meetings themselves. A, a growing body of evidence for the, the fact that the open plan office experiment was a mistake. In fact, 70% of American offices are open plan. This is, if you ask me, one of the greatest underreported stories going around. Open plan offices have problems with employee privacy, productivity, mental and physical health, and many many people believe are affecting a negative impact on the, the bottom line. Uh, if you look at authors uh, of recent times, Cal Newport uh, at Georgetown and Susan Cain, who's written a book, Quiet, they mm-hmm. both have been sort of open critics of this. They say it sort of works to the detriment of introverts, people who are not willing to be more sort of gregarious and extroverted in their interactions with colleagues and the Mm -hmm. open plan office can be doing them a disservice which feels in a way discriminatory when you go into the office and you have so many things competing for your attention and and, you know different colleagues wanting to speak to you it is very hard to get peace and quiet to do this sort of meaningful work that is going to be requires a lot of independent thought and creativity and what have you yeah Um, you know doing this sort of minimal stuff like you know answering emails slacking what have you that the shallow work which is characterized by Cal Newport versus the deep work, which he mentions the sort of more independent creative thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, the open plan office is is terrible for that. So, you know, you're an open plan office guy. What, what are your thoughts? Open office plan. And we were, I think we were going to do a pod about this. Maybe at some point we can explore that more, but like it's absolute horse crap. It is not helpful for anybody. Here's the proof to me. If it was really useful, then the C-suite would do it. <laughs> yep. So it, it has this veneer of, oh, it's collaboration, it's open, we're all just here. No, it's a way to save money. Yes. And you compound that now with like things like Slack. There was this period of time where you not only had email and Slack and then the shoulder tapping. I mean, <laughs> how, how does anybody get any deep? I would have to go, and this is a rant, but like I, I would have to go hide to get any deep work done. I'd yeah. have to literally say I'm I can't be available for the next two hours to get anything done. I'd have to like I have to actually fight work to get work done. And I think the open office plan was this big idea. And you know, I think at the time, and there was a ninety nine percent invisible about this about Shy at Day and how they're experimenting with trying it and all that. You know, I think I think there was probably some good intentions there at some point. But my the point being is like if it really was effective, people would do it from top to bottom. And it was just, in my opinion, it was a it was a smoke screen to save money on cubicles and and actually private offices. And if you look at it, even at Google, Chuck, you know, you you and I were when we were there, you know, they had these, you know, these 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 kind of closed offices started to creep back up, right? You had the Zen boxes, mm. right? Yeah. You had these little, you know, you had basically every little conference room be booked up all the time because people needed to, to have conversations sure. behind in private. So I think hopefully when we go back to work, you know, the open office plan just, in my opinion, never worked. I'm an extrovert, so I'd be the first to say it would work. I don't think it has a, a benefit. Yeah. And I think a lot of, if you, if you just Google open office plan or, or like, you know, the offices of the future, there's some quite uh, innovative solutions. You know, you mentioned the Zenbox, but people are taking it even further than that. So they'll create sort of shared use booths that create greater privacy and greater sort of quietness where you can single, like single use sort of desks. Desks that can be, I believe hoteling is the term, sort of more right. private sort of cubicles that yep. aren't owned by an individual person, but there's just more of them available. 
available. So yeah. I, sort of maximizing the opportunity for that independent quiet time while not sort of sacrificing any of the sort of the fast and loose serendipity that comes with an open plan offer. So as long as the best parts of the open plan are cherry picked and try to, you know, I guess mitigate the litany of bad things about the open plan, I, I think that would be uh, probably the optimal solution. There was a book that I read called Rework. You may have oh, yeah, read it I've too. got it. Yeah, it, and there was something in there that really struck me about having deep work times for employees where there's this mutual expectation. And this can be virtual too. This this is agnostic to an open office plan or whatever, where it's like, okay, from this time to this time, nobody's expected to correspond Everybody can just get some deep work done. That's the time to not be constantly interrupted. And we, we, we know from various pseudo neurological sciences that every time you get interrupted, it takes you up to 15 minutes to get back to where your thought process was. So there is an aggregate loss there. So open, open office plan has not delivered on what we thought it would. Sure. So I think that's another reason why remote work has been on the rise. So yeah. the, the number oh, five yeah. reason why I, I think this is interesting, um, I'm calling this diversity. And when you think about the uh, the various types of people who have been frozen out of working in a, the corporate environment, people who mm -hmm. don't have degrees, people who live in uh, rural areas away from the major cities where a lot of these mm -hmm. corporations operate, they've been frozen out a lot of these opportunities in the past. Mm -hmm. But if there are sort of more inclusive ways to have these people, I guess, um, integrated within the workplace, I think it's sort of a win-win for corporations. It's a win-win for individuals who haven't had that opportunity in the past. So mm -hmm. I think a greater diversity of ethnicities, skill sets, education level, you know, backgrounds and what have you, I, I think this hopefully will open up uh, more opportunities for those, those people. I think it's going to do a couple things, honestly. I think it's going to create the change the real estate complexion. People can live where, where they want. They don't have to live in cities. They don't have to move to cities. I think that's going to be a really interesting thing to see how that shakes out. I love living in the city. I would love to have a house in the middle of the country. <laughs> you, sure. know? you know, so I think it, I think we're going to see an, inter, an in, interesting reshaping of where people live. I think that's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how this breaking down of emotional barriers, you know, I think mm. people are going to be more empathetic to different work styles and yeah. different, different circumstances in their, in people's lives, right? Like having to take the dog out or the cat walking across the keyboard. I think we're all, we're all, <laughs> we're all getting a little bit of a peek, right? Into like each other's real lives. You know, we're just not seeing each other at the office now. We're seeing each other in our actual home environment and i think there's this kind of net empathy that's being built up and hopefully that can transfer to some of these intangibles like team building and all that stuff you know that's yet to be seen but i think i think there's something there's a unique opportunity there yeah i, I think it's a great point and I, and I think empathy is probably the 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 lead pony on that you know, i think empathy rather than diversity is probably the the, the better better story for this because mm -hmm. For us to put ourselves in the shoes of other people and to see different working styles and to see, yeah, guess what? It's not just a quote-unquote cultural fit of people who are went to similar colleges that I went to and from a similar city that I went to and right. kind of looks like me, has the same kind of interest in me and same balance. Right. It could be someone that's not trapped by the geography of the place mm -hmm. that with the company you're working for. So I, I think it really is going to help colleagues work, walk in the, at least sort of have the empathy to walk in the shoes of way different looking colleagues than they've had in the past. So 
net net, I think it's going to be a, uh, a good thing. I stumbled upon this interesting quote, uh, Mina Krenick. So she's the principal and interior design director at a global architecture and design firm, Perkins and Will. This is in LA. Uh, she says, um, we're sharing more and more of our personal lives with others while not wearing super corporate attire. We talked about corporate attire earlier um, in previous episodes or makeup, often while simultaneously soothing a fussy child or we're mm. learning new ways of social engagement with coworkers and clients, they can take back to humanize work environments. So hopefully, I think her hope is that we take some of these humanizations that this exercise in empathy and we re when we re-go back to the workplace, however that looks, that we can remember this stuff and we can take some of those insights and carry them into the workplace. I think that's going to be really cool, hopefully. It's a, it's a great quote and I think it's a really keen insight as well. I think that's hopefully that will be, you know, one of the, the good things that comes out of this sort of global tragedy, but, uh, you know, we can only hope. So just to recap the five yeah. reasons why uh, remote work is sort of spiking right now. Number one, the obvious one, uh, COVID. Yep. Number two, technology. Number three, it's a win-win for employers and employees. Number four, the open plan office has failed. And number five, diversity and let's say it, diversity in service of, to greater empathy. Yep. So that, my friends, are the five reasons why. Bada boom. Britain, who are the patron saints of remote <laughs> work? <laughs> this was tough. It was. Really you know, I was I was thinking honestly before we go into the ones on the list. You know, my dad, hmm. um, and my dad listens to this, so um, this is going to be interesting. But you know, hey Jim, hey Jim, what's so interesting about my dad? He was a patron saint of this work remote thing ever since I was a kid. You know, he he worked at different places. Um, you know, sometimes would work remote. Um, always, always kind of was on the forefront of of a lot of things, but of this thing also in particular, in terms of, you know, he worked remote Chuck in our basement uh, when I lived in Chicago, this is like 1985. Oh, so wow. I barely early remember he was literally accessing the internet and like accessing files from his work from home and taking calls from home and always had a really nice, robust, very suitable, functional uh, home office that he really used a lot. Yeah. Um, so he's, to me, personal patron saying, I'll say, uh, sure. is is that. But the other thing, uh, in a totally polar opposite, in just terms of just lore and in culture, right? Who, <laughs> this is just like something as I, as we kind of went through this, I'm like, who are, who are those, like, who are the people that actually, you know, out there really work remotely? And also I was just struck by evil villains work remote. <laughs> <laughs> They're always on a, I'll say like Darth Vader, or I just watched V for Vendetta again, which is highly prophetic and actually quite terrifying, but the high chancellor, Adam uh, Sutler, he's always, got his committee, but he's always on this big screen and he's always like, uh, he's never in person. And there's something very interesting about villains who are never in person because they, they somehow protect themselves from recourse or whatever, but they can manipulate with their mind. I don't know. Sure. Evil villains, Dr. Evil. Yeah. He, you know, he, you know, a lot of, a lot of evil uh, villains work remote. So what, what do you have, Chuck? Well, you mentioned, yeah, I was yeah. going to say Dr. Evil as well. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Just when you mentioned that, but also uh, President Snow and the Hunger Games, similar kind of trope, oh, um, you know, a, cal a calculating trope. Uh, look, even uh, I think a lot of the work done uh, by the US president is done from the White House, right? Uh, mm. So it, it's it's remarkable in terms of, uh, yeah, it's almost like the more senior you are, the more, I guess, free reign you have to work from home. 
actually, there was a show growing up in Australia. I guess it was, you might say it's the Australian version of uh, Family Ties, but it was a, a show called Hey Dad and, and the star. Is, <laughs> I won't go into it, but he's in jail right now. He's sort of fallen on hard times. But he was in the show. He was a widower. He was an architect and he had to set up. We had this gorgeous sort of home office, but all the kids and the, the franticness of, of being a, the sole parent of three kids where it happened in one room and he would go off to work and, you know, walk through the living room and into his office where the secretary was there and things took place. And it was quite a good, it's quite an interesting sitcom just to see that, that take place. And that was eighties and nineties. So I thought, Oh wow, wouldn't that be cool to have that short of commute? So that was that. I would say the other one, which was, you know, one of the biggest shows, certainly in the US and in and, and the West, Sex in the City, Carrie Bradshaw was the, the journalist. Uh, she would often roll out of bed who, as the pseudo narr- narrator of the show and then just sort of bang out an article because uh, she was a journalist for, I'm not sure which publication, it might have been a fake one. Carrie Bradshaw, for me, I think is is the patron saint of uh, working from home, at least in the, in the modern, real, non-fantasy sense, as opposed to evil villains from film. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I kind of came out of left field with that one. It's good though. It's, it's, it's very, it's very true. I feel like, I feel like some uh, are having the tough time adapting to this work from home scenario more than maybe millennials or elder millennials like you and I always on mute, can't find the link. You know, my wife has told me about all this kind of stuff in terms of her trying to get people to into a productive situation. I don't know if that's been your experience. I've, I've, I've had a little bit of, talk with you know some people of, of older than me about how is how it's working for them i just you know i always think about like can is everybody on this wave and able to adapt i haven't had any personal experience in, in that sense but i i do think i, I did have a, a moment a, a couple of years ago when uh, a colleague she had to share a document with me yeah and i, and I was new at the place and and she goes yeah i'll slack it to you and i remember thinking well you can just email it to me you know, I remember thinking at the time going, is there a reason we've just embraced this? Like, you know, and I'm, I'm not like a technological Luddite, you know, but I'm, I'm definitely a why guy just because someone said, oh, we're do- now we're doing this. And Slack used poorly is exceptionally, an exceptionally bad experience. So I was like, can't you just send this to me, you know, much more easily through email rather than me having to jump into another thing? But sure enough, yeah, now I'm, a, I'm, I'm very much used to the Slack experience so I can embrace it. But I can imagine people who are not accustomed to jumping between these different platforms, mm-hmm. you know, they're not native to these platforms or it doesn't come naturally to them. It's got to be a, little, a, bit, a bit more of a friction-filled experience. I've enjoyed the humor of all of us kind of trying to adapt to this, yeah. you know, being muted, not knowing how to un you know how to unmute your screen you know visually you know a, hearing a dog bark somebody forgets to unmute themselves like i said you know a child yelling in the background <laughs> a bed in somebody's background we're all just trying to figure this out right you know cutting in and out you know walking while on a call uh hearing a f- toilet flush in the bathroom i mean <laughs> but they were talking about for the first time they were they were live not live but they were actually showing the 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 supreme court debating law and this is all remote right you know they're all oh, working wow. remotely while they're all giving their you know their points of view their arguments <laughs> you could hear a toilet flush in the background oh wow <laughs> so it's just you know we're all we're all figuring this out you know we're all understanding that there's an awkward transition the the microphone that's too close to the beard or the collar that makes you sound like darth vader you know just seeing the top of your forehead here like i said a toilet flush. you know there's there's just <laughs> i don't know i'm finding i'm finding joy in this and maybe this gets back to that 
empathy. We're all yep. just kind of like in this together, trying to figure it out. And I, there's something really beautiful about that. Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm totally with you because no matter where you are, you know, sure, certainly, um, you know, wealthy people and sort of Hollywood stars have it better than uh, anyone else. You know, they have these, you know, seven bedroom mansions that they can, you know, they can work remotely in, in many, many ways better than someone who works in a, who lives in a one bedroom or studio apartment in a city. But at the same time, we, there's no escaping this. There's no office to go to. We're trying to make the best right. of it in the situation that we've been all, all thrust into. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is definitely, uh, to your point, if that can build up our collective empathy muscle, I, I think that's going to be a, a good outcome. So moving on to the sonic embodiment. From a distance. <laughs> Bat Midler. It's the first thing oh. that came to my mind. From a distance, from the 1990 album, Some People's Lives. Just so with, prophetic and descriptive. Is from a distance from beaches? No, hang on. That's wind beneath my wings. But it's in that same. Yeah. It's almost the same song. So Far Away by um, Dire Straits. So far, oh. so far away from me So far I just can't see I don't know. You know, I didn't overthink this. Those were just the first that came to my mind. This is also a tough one for me to figure out. And just the more I think about it, you know, the, the, the notion of work, embracing the grind, getting up and getting inspired to hit one's goals and objectives, that, that was sort of the old, I guess, hard-charging paradigm of work. Now there feels like uh, many more wrenches thrown into the, the calculus or just the, the general equation rather. Oh, yeah. So I think for me, just trying to get through it and staying positive and being being optimistic that things are going to get better, you know, leaning into the to the not leaning into the negative, but leaning into the giving yourself to the situation, embracing it. I love the um, the song "Always Look on the Bright Side of Life" from uh, the nineteen seventy nine uh, Monty Python film "Life of Brian." Always look on the bright side of life. Always look on the light side of life. Which I, I didn't realize had, I mean, had actually become a popular song at funerals, certainly at football games as well, because there is something quite charming about it when it, it, it's, it, I guess it's the, the musical embodiment of the, you know, keep calm and carry on that famous uh, yeah. poster from World War Two. It's sort of yeah. this, this British stoicism of leaning into it and and i think yeah. british people th there is definitely that sort of steely i'm, I'm not going to get too uh hysterical about this yeah this is a, a crappy situation but i'm going to suck it up and and try and get through it and hopefully have a few laughs along the way so mm -hmm. it's, it's a wonderful song it's a great film uh, i'd encourage you to watch it and uh that was my choice one thing i'm i'm curious chuck for you what has been your like experience working from home like how have how, what have you felt personally like what's changed what have you liked what has been tough mentally physically whatever i'm just curious i mean I, i've liked the freedom like uh you know to whether go on a run or, or lift weights or go on a long walk 
the I, pants I really, the no pants yeah <laughs> yeah no i the, i have i have enjoyed that the freedom to sort of go out and uh you know not be you know chained to my desk or like mm -hmm. the expectation of having to be chained to my desk mm -hmm. i i have struggled with the um the blending of the work-life balance you yeah. know going, okay well i'll get up and start this i'll say oh I'll, i might bang this out for a while and sure enough then it's like 10 30 mm -hmm. in the morning i've been working on something i haven't really got ready mm -hmm. then if i have my child i'm trying to make sure she's working on stuff and she's not just, you know, on her iPad or, or doing things she should be doing, you know, and mm -hmm. she's dressed and she's not just sort of goofing off. So th there is definitely a, a stress that comes with that or, or just, you know, an occupied mind that comes from that, that I, I find a little uh, challenging. But on the most part, I have I have liked a lot of it, as, as sad as this global situation has been. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I've liked the sort of the freedom and the freedom from distraction and doing personal projects like certainly The Furious Curious, my friend, and oh. certain other things that have been um, good career opportunities for me. I've I really liked that. So what, what about yourself, Brett? I think I would like it more if I had an allocated space for it where I could go in, do that, and then have a way where I had a bigger screen where I could see people's face that was not part of my work screen. I could have a couch. I mean, this is just all ridiculous wishing. Instead of just like one desk in one spot, having a little bit more of like an open desk situation where I had a, an actual home office. Mm. Um, I've always loved. I've always loved the idea of a home office. I would just like see my dad with his home office and how he really made that space work for him. I've always wanted to do that, and I've never really. I've always had to basically have my desk in the same space as my bed or close to it or my living room. You know, I think I would like this a lot more if I could really have an allocated space where it's like, when you are in there, Britain, you are working. When you are not in there, you are present to your wife, to your friends. So I'd like it. I would like it more if I had some additional tools, but I'll, I'll take what I can get. Sure. No, I, so I agree with that. I totally agree. Yeah. You are listening to The Furious Curious, hosted and produced by myself and my virtual really good friend, Charlie Quark. Till next time, stay curious. Out. Out.